We're going to be in 1 Samuel. We're going to continue on in uh, Pastor Lucas's uh, man after my own heart kind of thing. David, David, we talked about Samuel forever and a little bit of David. And I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit to the end of the first book. Uh, Pastor Lucas probably has 30 more weeks until he gets there. So, uh, you know, if you want to go there, check it out. It was, if not, it'll be up there. Thank you, Lord. First Samuel, chapter 30. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziglag, they found, <clears throat> excuse me, they found the Amalekites had made a raid into Negev and Ziglag, and they crushed Ziglag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women, the children, and everyone else, but without killing any of them. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they couldn't weep no more. David's two wives, yeah, that, that name, Ananomai from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among the captured. David, now, David was now in great danger because his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him with rocks. But David, fought, or David found, the text tells us, he found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to the priest, bring me the ephod. So that, that guy's name brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out and they came to the brook of Bezer. About 200 of those men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Verse 11. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and some water to drink. They also gave him a part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins. For he hadn't eaten anything or drank anything for three days and nights. Before, losing his strength, or before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from, David asked. I am an Egyptian, a slave of the Amalekites, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the, the Karevanites and the Nevgites and the, all those ites, ter territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we, had, and we had just burned Ziglag. Will you lead me to the band of raiders, David asked. The man replied, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me, or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the field, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they have taken from the Philistines in the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout the night and the entire next day until evening. Ufa. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. And verse 18 tells us, 
David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He recovered all the flocks and all the herds. His men drove them ahead of the other livestock. And the text ends there. It says, and the plunder belongs to David. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, that your, law, your word is alive. It's moving. It's active. It's always achieving what you sent it out to do. So, Lord, we pray today that your word would achieve what you sent it out to do today. And, Lord, we just ask that you would be glorified in it. Lord, that lives would hear the truth of who you are and what you can do. And, Lord, that, that this time would be a special time in the stirring of your spirit and the hearts of your people. We thank you, Lord, for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You ever had a God moment? What I mean by a God moment or a God encounter is an encounter where uh, there is a need that can't be met by anybody or anything else, and God shows up at the exact right time and does the exact right thing and, and fulfills what he's promised to do. You know, if you're here, I'm sure many here can testify to that moment that you have experienced the grace and unmerited favor of God in that God moment. Unfortunately, there are many that have not, have not experienced this God moment or this, this uh, moving of God's spirit within a person's life. We are in an invisible battle. This battle has been going on since the beginning of time, and this battle will continue until Jesus returns for his church. That battle is one of a spiritual nature. It's invisible. We can't see it in the natural, but we can see it in the spiritual. And the truth of the matter is that Satan himself and his third of fallen angels have a directive. Their directive is, I want to kill, steal, and destroy you. That's, if you don't believe that there is a, a Satan, a devil, an adversary, Lucifer, a fallen angel, if, if you don't believe that, you need to. <laughs> you, need, you really should allow God to move in that area because the truth of the matter is that that is his desire. But as long as the Holy Spirit dwells within men and on earth and with his church, he is holding back the full force of evil. Having said that, Satan can't do whatever he desires to you because there is a restrainer, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit does so many things for us, but he is also working not just in us, but around us. There's a lot going on, and so because of that, the the adversary, whatever you want to call him, Satan, Lucifer, he has to slow his roll because he can't just come plow over you, right? He has to. Um, his schemes are, are small at first. His ways are to disappoint in the little things, in those little things in life that, that happen 
He desires to discourage God's people, and all people for that matter, discourage them to the point where they're useless for what God desires for them. See, there's, a, there's what we might consider a battle, but there's really no battle. There is some resistance, and there is God, and the resistance will be crushed. But until that time, we are in a spiritual battle that Everything that we read, understand, and allow to happen in our lives, we see it through the eyes of, of our spiritual man, through our spiritual eyes. There is a battle going on, people, and he's after you, your kids, your family, your loved ones. But he does it slowly at first. David, he, he was discouraged. David, he... He was discouraged in the little things. We could see his reaction to, you know, the way his father and his brothers treated him at one time. You know, we see that, that anybody in the room ever experienced strife within a family, it's about the most destructive thing there is. You know, that place, that safe place where uh, everything should be okay. And when it's not... It's not. David felt that. He was discouraged. You know, he saw a lot of things that we would feel. You know, he was a man without a country. The nation of Israel could do nothing with him. He thought he was buddies with King Saul. That turned out not to be working out too well. You know, he was discouraged. And just like today, as the enemy will try to discourage you and stop you from doing what God has called you to do, he was doing it to David. Sometimes we try to, uh, I don't know, kind of gloss over these, these, these stories in the Bible with, with characters. Like David's a character. He's just, you know, he's just this part of this story. This, he was a man. He had a lot of discouragement. He had a lot of brokenness in his life. Sometimes we only think about, you know, King David and, you know, Samson and, or Samson. David and Goliath and, you know, these, these major, you know, things with King David. We find King David at the point of this passage completely backslidden. <laughs> completely backslidden. Nothing, no, no glory here. None of that. No, no high, high praises. None of that. None of that. And then there's those big discouragements, you know like a loss of a loved one. And those of us who are continuing getting older, um, the older you get, the more, the more you lose. The more you lose. And, that, and those, big, those big life disappointments compounded on top of those little life disappointments is the plan of the enemy. His plan is to discourage you until... Or disappoint you until you are discouraged and completely out of the game. Too many believers today are just sitting on the sidelines, discouraged, living a life that is well below what Jesus would desire for, for all of us. For all of us. So our story starts, right? It says that David and his three, or David and his mighty army of men, 600 guys, bad dudes, did everything seen everything. They've experienced it all. These are some bad dudes. One matter of fact, a couple of these dudes, one dude killed 800 men with a spear. 
That's a bad dude. <laughs> uh, another one fought back to back with David and, and destroyed an entire army. So these guys were, they were, they were serious in what they did. Right? It says that he was three days with his army away from home, in essence, or headquarters, or the place where the most valuable things he owned were there. His family, you know, his livestock, you know, all the stuff that goes with building a, an army and a nation, right? He left it unguarded. So as a guy, I'm just like asking questions, man. I'm like, what's the deal? Where was David that it was, it was so important for David to be somewhere three days away, 75 miles away, that it was going to take him three days to march an army 25 miles a day to get home to an unprotected home front? How many know that when you are discouraged, you make bad decisions? Bad decisions are tied with that discouragement and that disappointment. David, it tells us in the 20, 27th chapter, right? listen, what was David doing? It says that David kept thinking to himself, someday Saul is going to get me. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. What? What? You get the Philistines? Wait a minute. I'm, that's that's got to be a misprint. <laughs> that can't be right. The Philistines, the enemy, the enemy of Israel. Not too long ago, Pastor Lucas crushed it out of the park with the with David and Goliath. You know, Goliath, the Philistines. You know, he all that story. Now he's joining them. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, when we're discouraged and we're and and you know we make bad decisions. And David is making some bad decisions. Why would this happen to David? Why did this have to happen? How many know that God has a way of getting your attention when you choose to ignore his directive? If you haven't, it's coming, right? If you haven't, it is coming. Verse 8, it says... David and his men spent their time raiding, raiding Gershwites, Gizarites, Amalekites, people who had, had lived near them. And then it goes on and says, and David did not leave. Get this. David did not leave one person alive in the villages that he raided, and he stole everything from them. Boy, that don't sound like King David to me. At least it didn't. David is in a complete backslidden state, doing things that he rationalized as okay. But listen, it's not okay. If God didn't tell us to do it, it's not okay. We're wasting our energy. He's got faulty logic. He's going to like, well, I'm going to go hang out in their territory because Israel won't come over there looking for me. What? Doesn't make any sense to me, and that's because what David was doing doesn't make any sense. God says in Galatians, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. David is reaping what he sowed. You know these guys 
are marching back after the Philistine army said, nah, just go, just go. He got rejected by the Philistine army because they were afraid of him. David, you know they're seeing smoke. They're doing 25 miles a day, which is a lot for a walking army. So they're really laying it down, thinking that home brings all those comforts and expectations that, that one would desire to get home. And as they're coming home, they're seeing the smoke. You know, 75 miles, you could probably see smoke three days out. You know on the second day they can see the smoke burning from the city. You know the anxiety. So many things that have been said today, this morning in prayer, in, in our worship service, and this is all confirmation for me in this because God wants us to understand. He wants us to understand. These guys, their anxiety rose every day as they drove closer and closer to home until when they got there, they realized what happened. I think these guys probably had a pretty good idea what happened, you know, maybe the day before and really was just hoping that it wasn't so. Just hoping that it wasn't so. Closer they got, their hope began to hurt. Hope that hurts is a hope that, that is in a time when nothing is changing. You know that when they got home, it says that they just wept until they could weep no more. So I tried to, in preparation, um, I tried to put myself in the story to try to get some kind of perspective, kind of. So this weeping no more part, uh, the Lord kept bringing me to and bringing me to, and I'm praying, I'm like, okay, Lord, then show me a time when, you know, whatever you want to do. And this, I don't know how this is going to come out because I've never spoken it to another human being before. Uh, so I could crash and burn in a big way right here. But uh, I was about, it's about 50 years old now, 50 years ago now. Good Lord. I was, I was right around six years old. Right? And uh, I remember it being a beautiful day. It was beautiful out. I mean, it was one of the summer. It was, you know. Six years old, I'm sitting outside with my dog, my dog Herman. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we go sit on the front porch, and the dog, you know, is a lab, you know, he's very friendly and all that. And there was a problem, though. The problem was that there was a beehive, uh, there was some bees buzzing around me. And uh, and uh, Herman would bite at the bees, you know. And uh, he bit the bees, and it stung his tongue. And uh, I sat on my porch with my dog suffocating in my arms. And I had a hope. I had a hope that really hurt. I was hoping that when my mother got home that she could fix it. 
This broke me. This broke me so much so that it got buried and it was put away for a long, long time until I met my wife. And my wife, uh, we would have this thing, you know how newlyweds are, and then they try to drag that out in a good way, obviously. Uh, but anyway, um, we did this Valentine's thing that in the beginning we would always give each other these Valentine's gifts and we'd always one-up each other. Right? And it got to the point where we had to designate, okay, dear, this is your year. You do the big thing for me, and then next year I'll do the big thing for you. Eventually, you run out of big things to do. Uh, so um, I knew what I wanted to do. But because of 50 years of burying Herman, my kids never had any pets. Uh, you know, we didn't have dogs. It wasn't going to happen. I'm not putting myself in that place again. No way. Anyway, I ran out of things to do for my wife, bottom line. So I bought her a dog, a puppy. Cleo might be up there. Yeah, Cleo. And... uh. So, uh, you know, I remember, I remember to this day, I was standing in the bedroom, she was coming into the bedroom, and I'm like, here you go, happy Valentine's Day. And uh, it was great, it was great. Cleo was the best dog ever, and uh, and uh, she got old. She got old, and I had to, we had to put her down and you want to talk about digging up some old stuff? Oh, man. Uh, it wrecked me again. Uh, and I remember, and the reason that I'm telling you about Cleo is because I probably won't remember Herman if it wasn't for Cleo. But you know, if you've ever been there, you've done the deal, you've done what you need to do. And unfortunately, I didn't know he was doing it when he was doing it, so I missed. Anyway, we put Cleo down, and they, they were like, you know, you know, I don't know the procedure, what happens, but I know I wasn't leaving my dog there. It's not going to happen. So I picked up Cleo and uh, carried her to the car, and my wife drove, and I held Cleo just like this. And then I went to our yard, and I dug a hole, and I buried Cleo. And all that just released everything about Herman all over again. I was like, wow. So I had two choices. I could either embrace this dog thing and go wide open, or just, and this is ace. This is this is our, our new rescue. So uh, God is good. So I know, yeah. So I know, it, obviously, it's not as heavy and it's not as important as, you know, losing your wife and kids to abandon the Raiders. I get that. But it was my first broken piece, maybe. 
You know, we're all broken on some level, on some things. And this is the first time that I ever was broken. It was with Herman and then Cleo. And I told my wife, I'm, I, you need to just handle an ace because I can't bury ace. It's, I'll lose it all. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be a disaster. Anyway, I just needed you to connect with me to understand the magnitude of what we're talking about. These guys were some dudes that have seen it and done it. And they were broken when they experienced it. Right? So much so that they started blaming David and they wanted to kill David. And I get it. If I was one of those guys, probably be in the same boat. But it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. What does that mean? You know, we've probably heard that if you've been in church any length of time. He strengthened himself in the Lord. David remembered God's love. David remembered God's calling. David remembered God's promise. David remembered, and he was strengthened. And we can gleam a lot from this church because those discouragements, they're going to come. The spiritual warfare that you may or may not understand on some level, it's there and it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Do you know the only thing in heaven that is man-made? It's one thing in heaven that's man-made. And that's the scars on Jesus. And I'm here today to tell you that if you are in Christ Jesus today, your scars... Your brokenness will not define you and will not be the last word in your life. His scars will be. His scars is what's important. The Lord. You know, when we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, God expects something from us. Right? Whenever we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, whenever we recall the grace of God, whenever we, we meditate on the cross of Christ and the suffering of Christ and the resurrection and, the, and Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, and as we meditate on these things, thank you, Lord, at some point, we have to stand up, shake it off, and not allow it anymore. Even if you don't believe everything, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief, Father. I believe. I've strengthened myself in you. I've listened to your spirit. Now what? I keep hearing, though, and then he went home. I keep hearing that over and over again all week. You know, we have these great passages. Master Lucas is talking about it, and Joe's talking about it, Tim, and all the rest of the apostles in the room. Uh, he said, Lord, shall I pursue? He seeked after the Lord, where in times past he hasn't. He did his own thing. Today, he asked, Lord, 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 should I go after them? And God says, go, pursue. Whenever God gives us something to do, he will always tie a promise to the doing. Always. Right? Pursue, and because you pursue, and because I am God, 
you will receive back everything that you've lost. Everything the enemy has stolen in your life. God's saying, listen, you can have it back. Discouragement. Disappointment. Despair even. They asked this, this is Egyptian. Can you show us where we're going? He's like, sure. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the field, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast plunder that they've taken from the Philistines. David and his men rushed in and took care of business out of an act of obedience. And you know the difference between David's raid on these guys and David's raid on those other tribes in the area? This was God-sanctioned, and the other ones were not. God said, go. And if you go, if you go, they could have stayed in Ziglag, mourning everything that they've lost. But they encourage themselves, they strengthen themselves, and God says, okay, I've imparted it to you. Now I need you to go. And you will receive all. If we look further down in our text and in this chapter, we find that David received everything back and more. But if you continue down past where we talk today, and you could read, obviously, David gave the plunder away. He gave it to those that, whatever, for whatever reason, motivation, he deemed necessary to do so. But he gave it away. And there is no difference for us. Listen, the battle is real. There is an invisible spiritual battle going on. And typically we may talk about it as individuals. But today I want to talk about it as the church as a whole. It's more than just us. It's more than just about Jim. That enemy wants to stop me from doing anything that God's called me to do, and the same for you. But when we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, when I seek God, and when I trust him, and when I obey him, he promises, go. The promise is you'll receive it all. So, Today, what does he want from us? What is God asking of us? Today, now, here, right here, what does God want from Jim? What does he want from you? Well, we know clearly that Jesus said it clear as day because he's got to make it clear for us and for his guys. But in Matthew 28, 18, it says, All authority... And heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus is speaking. And he says, therefore, or because of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Right? That's the go part. Here's the promise part. Some translations say, and know this for sure, for sure. I will be with you to the end of the age. The go and the promise. How we doing? How we doing as a church in going? I testified this morning that a lot of us are going. We're, we're participating. 
We're uh, actually, you know, being a part of other people's lives. It's a beautiful thing. But how are we doing? If you're here today and you're not doing well, if you're here today and you feel discouraged, you feel disappointment, you feel despair, you have that anxiety constantly moving over you, all these things, I'm here to tell you today, according to God's word, if we encourage ourselves in the Lord, if I remember what Jesus did on the cross, the power of the gospel is Christ crucified. When I remember and I spend a little time at the foot of that cross looking up, you know what? That's an awful thing, but it's a, it's a super, it'll strengthen you in a big way when you remember the love of God on display on that cross for me. Amen. Just me. Just you. Disappointment has got you to a place where you don't even feel disappointed anymore, maybe. I'm here to tell you, let's remember the love of God. Let's remember what he's told us. Listen, you have a call. You have been sent. You are holy, set apart. Set apart for his purpose, for, for our good and his glory. We remember the call. We remember the promises he gives us. He says, if you believe in me that I suffered and died on the cross for the payment of your sins, you will be redeemed. You want some hope that hurt? How about when Jesus died on that cross and was in that tomb and those ladies went to the tomb Sunday morning. We just did Easter last week, right? They had some hope. They knew that he was the resurrection and the life, but they didn't know when or what or all that. But they knew. They knew. The faithfulness, the calling, the purpose and promises of God. And finally, church, if you're in here and you're extremely discouraged, remember God's past victories in your life. The victories in which God was glorified and you have received that moment with God that changed everything. He is faithful. He is our deliverer. He is our Messiah. He is our all in all. We thank him today. The battle is real, church. So, having said that, and I'm closing, obviously. Ah quarter after. Here comes the band. Get off the stage. Get off the stage. Okay, check it out real quick. I know I'm way over. You had to hear the Herman thing though. I'm sorry. See this? All you guys probably know what this is, but in reality it's not that at all. This right here. This is a day in your life. This is a day in your life. This is your life. This is how many days you have. The Bible says that we are appointed once to die and then the judgment. In other words, there is a day that has been appointed for you to meet your maker. What if every day we took one of these out and really looked at it? And as the weeks and the months and even the years go by, it's now like down to here, you know? And it's getting lower and lower. Do you think that we're going to be more faithful 
more loving, more caring, more accepting, people of forgiveness, more when it's full or when it's going empty. I'm here to tell you today, church, that time is short. We've lost a lot of loved ones in the last few years. I'm here to tell you that your days matter. The day that God has given you today matters. We're in a battle. But the good, great thing is that Jesus gives us the victory. Amen? Amen. Victory in Jesus. Today, we remember the goodness and the grace of God.